concealed. Have you ever felt the pull of the unanswered, the allure of the mysteries that shroud our existence? For more than a decade, a unique comic publisher has dared to dive into these mysteries, unafraid of the secrets they might uncover. This audacious entity is Paranoid American. Welcome to the mystifying universe of the Paranoid American podcast. Launched in the year 2012, Paranoid American has been on a mission to decipher the encrypted secrets of our world. From the unnerving enigma of MK Ultra mind control to the clandestine assemblies of secret societies. From the awe-inspiring frontiers of forbidden technology to the arcane patterns of occult symbols in our very own pop culture. They have committed to unveiling the concealed realities that lie just beneath the surface. Join us as we navigate these intricate landscapes, decoding the hidden scripts of our society and challenging the accepted perceptions of reality. Folks, I've got a big problem on my hands. There's a company called Paranoid American making all these funny memes and comics. Now, I'm a fair guy. I believe in free speech uh, as long as it doesn't cross the line. And if these AI-generated memes dare to make fun of me, they're crossing the line. This is your expedition into the realm of the extraordinary, the secret, the shrouded. Come with us as we sift through the world's grand mysteries, question the standardized narratives, and brave the cryptic labyrinth of the concealed truth. So strap yourselves in, broaden your horizons, and steel yourselves for a voyage into the enigmatic heart of the paranoid American podcast. Where each story, every image, every revelation brings us one step closer to the elusive truth. What up, what up, y'all? It's a Paranoid American podcast, and tonight I'm super excited to talk to one of the coolest people that I have the pleasure of usually talking to every Tuesday on Sing Tanks, and that is my uh, my friend David Charles Plate. And don't worry, this is going to be the full <laughs> layout. I've just been playing around with this. So I like the layout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stick you in there. Uh, but yeah, so uh, David, I know you through Sing Tank. We talk with uh, Andre Zertis um, almost weekly. But you also run the Sync Book, which is one of the coolest projects. It's also one of the longest running projects. And I want to let you explain it and who you are and where to find you so I don't butcher well, it. Well, just to be clear, I do not run the Sync Book. I have a page on the Sync Book website with like okay. over 200 films for streaming and download that are that are Sync films. And so uh, Alan uh, Abadessa Green, he actually runs that along with uh, Guillaume uh, and uh, and Doug. Uh, there's like, you know, there's a, there's a Sync community. And so, you know, uh, I, I'm not like the IT of the website, nor is it really like, like Alan is really the sync pimp. I'm just like, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm one of his bitches. It's okay. I'm, I've, I, I, I'm fine with that. Is, is he going to uh, hit you if you don't give him the proper credits? He won't. No, no. Okay. No, he's, he's a good, he's, he, treat, he treats us well. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I, I love it. And I, I'm I'm infinitely grateful to be given a platform where I can share my videos and I don't have to deal with navigating, uh, you know, copyright and a lot and a lot of those issues. I mean, we argue fair, fair use. Uh, technically, fair use is an American thing. It's not like you can't uh, take like something from even the the UK apparently and argue fair use. Uh, on its use i mean you can argue it but fair use is actually for um, american media does that but, uh, restrict yeah. you to american movies 
<laughs> it should, but yeah, maybe, maybe I shouldn't out myself right away and make something, you know, but yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. Like it's, um, it's, uh, you know, we, we, we published a couple, a few books, uh, there's two sync books and then there's other books from sync book press. And, uh, I was a contributor to sync book too. And so, you know, um, we had a, a podcast called always record that was with Alan and, uh, uh, Bill, uh, Klaus, uh, who actually lives with me now. He was originally my co-host from Chicago, and then he he moved out to California. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and and uh, for anyone that doesn't know about SyncBook, it's one of the it's it's a cool project. So you guys take or you take a movie and then lay it on top of an album, and it, like anyone that's ever heard of you know syncing up, uh, what is it, Wizard of Oz with um, one of uh pink dark, si dark side dark of the side moon, of the yeah. moon there you go so it's that concept but you've extrapolated that to hundreds of movies at this point right so pink so dark side of the moon the wizard of oz was first popularized i believe in the 1970s and it was uh, from a call into a radio station and i actually postulate that that was uh potentially a leak so like maybe an intentional leak um like it's just it fits that well that for promotional what, reasons or for like a cult uh, reason? Uh, it, well, it's complicated. So, so if if you're a musician or even a filmmaker or something, and you, you know, you know, you're producing something uh, that people will be relating to on a certain level, it could it could be a means to keep kind of like a personal relationship with the thing that you can you can share with you know people who are close to you or whatever. Um, it's, it's a, it's a cult. And so it's like, if there was intention behind that, I won't argue one way or the other, ultimately, like I have my feelings with certain ones that are just so over the top. I'm like, if that just like happened on its own, then that's crazier than if there was some intention behind it. I don't think that it would have to be as, um, like mechanical as some people might assume, like to make something happen like that. Like, cause thing, things already sync up to a, to a certain degree, no matter what. And so what really fascinates me is when it crosses a line and then like crosses it even further, you know what I mean? Like uh, where uh, something's just so ridiculously on point that you have, it's like, you know, it just blows your mind. So that's, that's my interest. Uh, and at the same time, like things kind of just do that to some degree, you know? So I, in other words, like, I don't know how meticulous one would really need to be um to make that work that way um you know uh so yeah um you're like a huge cinemaphile you probably know way more about movies than most people that i know and i guess in terms of music there's almost a this like meta structure where it's constantly building up anticipation and then subverting expectations but then also sometimes playing into those expectations that's why you return back to a chorus and so like when you have that kind of a flow and i assume that there's probably a very similar dynamic in filmmaking and cinematography where you're trying to like draw the eye and then okay no no we're not gonna give you the whole shot and then maybe a little bit more and right if there's two different creatives that are on the same wavelength you don't have to necessarily be working together to have two different pieces of artwork that sync together Right. Well, you know, there's a thing that happens with a lot of a lot of films where the like and just stories in general where they'll come back around and you'll be in similar circumstances than you were at the beginning or there'll be parallels to like because, you know, films will go often in a cycle. They could have two or three 
cycles where you kind of you you see things from different perspectives but they have commonality with the first like um the first portion so like you know when you're dealing with like looping an album or something like fascinating things will happen where you're like wow they're doing the same thing they were the first time and the song's playing but there's like kind of a different context because it's a different so it's like the count of monte cristo where it's like you know he he gains so much and then he loses everything and then he gains it again and he goes through these things like if you were if you were to take i don't even know if there's a film of the county account of monte cristo but if there was or if there is like there's it would two. be like there's is at least there two. thank you yeah see so i'm not i'm not as much the newer the newer one is definitely me. worth a watch too if you haven't seen it it's worth it it's okay. got jim cavazil who's in the news now so oh wow okay well he wow. is the count of monte cristo yeah so it's just that but you know what i'm saying like it goes it goes through these these cycles and so like when you're when you're doing an album film pairing the the format that was kind of set up with dark side of the rainbow is that you're literally just replaying the 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 album uh when it reaches its end and films are generally longer than albums you know but there's there's strange things that happen as like depending on the the particular album film pairing you know like uh like ready player one like the year that that came out, Oasis came out with an album called uh, Time Flies, which was like their final big like compilation album. Um, and uh, there's like, you know, if you if you start the album the second that the movie starts, uh, the last song on the album uh, actually goes exactly one minute uh, past the end of the film. And so like if you and the, the last line you'll hear at the very end of the credits is I need more time. From the album so like that's the lyric and then uh you know if you watch that movie you know there's zemeckis's cube that allows you to go back in time one minute and so like it feel it's like you know it, that just happened like that i don't know what the hell but yeah the album is the full length of the film you know plus a minute so it's yeah stuff stuff like that like i was just messing with et and poltergeist again like i just returned to it and i had kind of like a shoddy editing program years ago when i first did it this was like I don't even know, 10 years ago or something. And uh, I I didn't even realize like the degree to which. So if you start E.T. and Poltergeist on the same frame, so the bars are just lined up, that when it gets to the end of both of their credits at the same time, they will fade out to the frame. So like, <laughs> like you can literally like click back to the faded end of the one credit and then the next frame it's black. Like it's just like on both films at the same time. They were, they one came out, um, uh what was it june 11th 1982 the other one came out june 4th 1982 so like that's and like both both were filmed simultaneously both are spielberg you know spielberg produced poltergeist toby hooper um uh, directed it but you can see it's really a spielberg film like i'm sure Toby, after Texas Chainsaw Massacre and before Life Force, you know, like, I mean, I know he was a good director and everything, but it doesn't, like, none of his other films, like, have that Spielberg <laughs> feel, you know. But the so, like, the two sets had crossover. So, like, where the, the filming locations, so, like, even some of the same houses that are in one are also in the other. Like, it's, you know, there's, there's things like that, and you're just like, did that just, did they really just happen to land to the same, that to end on the same frame? Like, well, I mean... On that note, too, and and in a vague way, but also in a serious way, like, what does it all mean to you? Like, are are you finding, you know, cheat codes? Did you find like a game genie, uh, just without the manual out in reality? Do you think that people are encoding messages, or is it just like, uh, oh, that's a funny coincidence? Like, what is it? 
Well, I've been at it for so long. So it's been since like sixth grade. So I've been since junior, junior high, middle school, and I'm like 41. So, and like, it's been like my most consistent activity <laughs> in my life as far as like interests go, you know, like hobbies or whatever. So it's like over time, like I've, I, I've, I've, of different rationales for pairing different things. Sometimes it's like there's a backstory where people actually knew each other or something, you know, like with Alejandro Hodorowski uh, and Marilyn Manson with like Hollywood and Holy Mountain or something. And then you, you see that, oh, this person actually officiated Marilyn Manson's wedding. So there's definitely like a direct like connection in the real world there. And there's examples of that. There's also dates where something comes out the same day and year as something else. And then beyond that, you just, there's a resonance on top of it. It's not just that. And then you're like, oh, so I run the experiments. I have a very open mind. So it's like, and I also think things are fun. Like even if they don't, if it's not like that, that magic that I sometimes come across, like I'm still fascinated by it or I still enjoy it. And so like, it's just every so often when you keep it something that consistently, it's like, you know, you'll have alignments occur that are beyond my you know, what I would ever dream of. So like, and, and also there's a syntax aspect to the whole thing. So it's like how I arrive at it. So it's like, you know, um, I, I sometimes, uh, you know, I won't try something with something else. So like, for example, like Ex Machina and Under the Skin. Like if you start those two films on the same frame, uh, they will cut to black for the credits on the same frame. So like, you know, and it, it's when I say syntax, it's like, I didn't try either of those movies with like something else. Like I tried them with each other and that's what happened because I saw a strong resonance there. And so, yeah, there's one, one is in, in intuition where it's like just looking at resonance. So something resonates with something else, like the Wizard of Oz and Dark Side of the Moon, they absolutely resonate. And the biggest kicker with Dark Side of the Moon and the Wizard of Oz is like, is like the third round, you know what I mean? Like, it's all cool, like it's all interesting, like the way money starts right when it turns to color, stuff like that, <laughs> when she opens the door and the cash register goes, if you start on the third roar, the MGM line, you know, but it's like the third round is like when she wakes up in bed and it's like on the point, it's like she's, she's back and then it's home, home again. I like to be there when I can, you know, it's like, that's crazy. Like what? And it's, it's, it's really satisfying when something delivers like that. But if somebody was to watch dark side of the rainbow, you know, and they, they didn't, they, they watched like a few songs or something. They're like, I got the idea. It's like, no, you didn't really get the idea. Cause you won't know. It's one of my big pet peeves is like, you can go to the theater or whatever and walk out. Like anyone's free to do that. But in my opinion with my, you know, <laughs> like I feel like if you walk out of a movie, your opinion isn't worth as much as somebody who finished it because i'll tell you what like it's not common but sometimes you'll have a really shitty movie you know and it will be such a payoff that you're like oh i have to reevaluate the whole movie now like it doesn't happen often but it can happen <laughs> so if you went to bill and ted's bogus journey and you walked out you know that could have just been a really bad movie and you're right to walk out and that's that but your opinion isn't worth the same as somebody else who at least finished it whether that's they liked it or didn't movie. like it that's actually that's, a great movie. That's why opinion. I chose it to give us an example. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and then it's, it's, it's a matter of attention span too. So like things will happen. Like if I show a film to, to somebody like a sync film that I'm really familiar with and we're sitting there and like, I'll, I'll, I'll have to wait, you know, I can't like, I don't want to interrupt it because even like the moment that I go to say something, they might be missing the next thing, but it's like, things will happen. And you're like, you know, I have to sometimes stop and be like, did you catch that? <laughs> like, you know, 
Like there, you know, because it's right there in front of you, but you don't always see it. And then once you see it, you can't unsee it, kind of thing, you know. So yeah. <laughs> Are there any films that you've been like? Uh, I don't say like working yourself up to, but you know, like every every artist or writer has like that like that novel that they want to write before they die. Is there like a movie that you just don't want to touch yet because you're trying to like approach it just perfectly, or do you just kind of come with whatever like you know floats your boat at the time? Uh, you know, they, they kind of like, usually, usually it's not as much of me. Like I try to make it a point to be objective. So it's like, I, w I want things to like reveal themselves. Like if you just stack up information, sometimes the information will point to a place that if you were jumping ahead and trying to like leap at something, you wouldn't necessarily get the same kind of insight. You know what I mean? Like, um, so I try to just remain open and notice patterns and, notice correspondences and then just like take note you know and then if enough pile up then i'll be like okay i gotta try that you know see what happens you know and do you i mean I'm, i i want to i want to ask this again in a different way but do you think you're like tapping into something other than just uh like your own pattern recognition and curiosity do you think that there's there's like an actual pattern that exists outside your uh you know your perception is there like an objective pattern that you're tapping into as you do these yeah in certain instances yeah and so like like i have like over 200 films that you know are kind of like my, my, the cream of my crop that are online but like in my hard drive i don't even know what do i have 500 and even beyond that just over the years like even with like vhs and lps and cds just trying to play with it and get you know it's like <laughs> there's what i share and then it's like of those 200 i think that there's probably like a good like 20 that I can't imagine how this happened on its own. And if it did, then the universe is a crazier place. You know, like it says something about like, uh, you know, patterns exist everywhere in nature, you know? So it's like, we're not separate from nature. So like our goings on, even when it comes to like media, even like pop culture, it's like, is that really separate? Is it is it distinct, but not separate? And so that calls that up sometimes and makes a question, but uh, I, 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 I don't rule out the possibility in like a major way that in certain instances this is part of of the creation like this is what the artist actually intended but it's not meant for the public because the public already they have their product but then meanwhile they have their own kind of way of relating to it you know that that they can have their own communication with it you know um that's what it looks like to me but i don't i don't know you know like you should see you know how roger waters has responded when people bring up dark side of the moon the wizard of oz like he gets like mad and it's like i don't know why there's such a charge on it it's like he's like upset about it and i'm like didn't you guys like start out doing soundtracks like you got the valley with obscured by clouds you know and you got more and more you know the movie more and the album more it's like you did soundtracks and then the wall is basically a giant music video that's like you're watching a movie on mute with your album over it isn't that what that movie is like for the most part you know so it's like i don't know why you know he has this really oh you know people will just see what they want whatever it's like i, I yeah it's that so he, he's irritated me. that people are crediting them with being <laughs> genius enough to sync up their music with a movie but then he's angry because they didn't actually do that is that the maybe i don't even know or it's just he does he wants to dismiss it because he doesn't because this is a thing too this is major so if this were true if you're entertaining the possibility that there's intention with any of these uh to admit it would destroy it because the occult nature of it and the mystery of it is that the 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 listener and the viewer like 
to to go on your psychedelic journey and come to that like if you admit it it's gone like all of that like because it, it, it it's you, you know what i mean like it has yeah, don't this, don't talk about fight club or, or like yeah, the game. yeah yeah you talk about you just ruin the thing you know so it's like i mean i i've had so, so many people that i've i've gotten to and they'll they'll like it you know they'll res respond to to it uh in some cases uh you know saul williams and stuff but then it's like no comment just like just in like enough acknowledgement you know or like or they'll follow you or whatever if you're talking about twitter or something um but you're like hey what do you think of this nothing but enough acknowledgement that they're not like you know like upset or something you know it's roger waters exist. actually gets upset <laughs> he's the only person i know that actually gets upset about it you know i'd be i'd be interested to know if other musicians actually get upset and i don't know if david gilmore ever ever got upset about that i don't you know but there was the um was it the drummer where somebody stopped him and asked him about dark side of the rainbow and he was like well have you tried it with any other films like have you tried the wall and ben hur or something i think that's literally the example he gave and it's like with a <laughs> smile on his face like that's a good response you know that's like that's like one for the fans you know i don't know what, why there's such a charge <laughs> on it for roger but whatever so, so uh, in addition to like music syncing with movies and stuff, <clears throat> uh, do you have any strong opinions on backcueing or like the hidden messages to play like a record in reverse? And if oh, you sure. know, is that like, yeah? What, what's your thought? Do you think there's any legitimate ones that that well, the, you the know, first, people give credit to? The first um, album that used backmasking, uh, adm you know, admittedly, uh, is um, I think it was Magical Mystery Tour, right? So. Uh, and that's been discussed. So there's a, there's an interview somewhere, and I, I forget which Beatle it was, but one of those guys uh, explained that you know the idea actually came from William S. Burroughs. So they were hanging out with Burroughs, and he was showing them to play phonograph records backwards. Now, where did Burroughs get it? Well, he was a Thelemite. Uh, I don't think Burroughs was actually in the OTO, but he was he was uh, studied Crowley or at least read Crowley and stuff. And Crowley mentions that I think it's in Book Four. Is that magic and theory and practice where he uh, advises the student to learn to speak backwards? And I think he even says to play phonograph records backwards when, you know, this is early. I don't know what year that was exactly. Is that like the 1920s when he wrote that? I forget. But uh, the point is, is that uh, that probably came from, from, from Crowley to Burroughs to the Beatles and then other people, you know, played around with that there's actually um you know there's effects that you can do i don't i've never heard anyone talk about this but uh you know uh tool the band tool when they released uh opiate on vinyl uh, uh i don't know if it's all pressings or what but my pressing of opiate if you put the needle uh one groove into the first track oh, actually on the b side so the first track on the b side if you there's a song between the grooves and if you look at the record, you can't see it at all. So they put their, you know, it's on the CD. It's like, you just wait for the song or whatever. But it's like, I had a friend once he took some acid. Now he thinks he's a fire engine. It's okay until he pisses on your lighter or whatever. That song, you know, where he says Satan a bunch of times. So they put that song in between the grooves on the first track on the B side on the record. Now, That's interesting. So if you if you put it on the regular lead in, you wouldn't even know about it. You would never know. And I actually played that record so many times before I accidentally found this out. Like, I, like, and I, I actually, I worked at a record store at the time and I just like, I put the needle in to the song just willy nilly on my.
had to like, I went back and forth and I was like, oh, if you set it here, it does this. If you set it here, it does that. Actually, one morning I was, uh, I, I, I took some psychedelics with a friend the night before and I told him about this and I went to show it to him and I forgot it was the B side and I was trying to show it to him <laughs> on the A side. And he like, he gave me this look like, like he was like, cause you know, I'm a little weird or whatever. And he's known me for a while, but it was like, he really, I could see he was really questioning. Like, is David really crazy? <laughs> I'm like, no dude, there's a song between the grooves. Let me show you. Hogwarts is right oh, through this. Oh my God. Find the right spot. Yeah. And I kept on trying to find it and I couldn't find it. And it was like, like a few <laughs> minutes went by or whatever. And I was like, and then I started questioning myself. I'm like, am I crazy? I swear I, this happened. <laughs> so yeah, no, I flipped it. And then I saw it was on the B side. And then he was like, oh, oh, okay. oh, wow. Oh okay you know but yeah there was that moment where you're just like uh the cognitive dissonance and the whatever you know you're like oh that maybe i'm just hanging out with a totally crazy person <laughs> i never actually heard of a, a of a hidden vinyl track like that and uh, right? I, I remember the old cd ones you would just let it run and then like 40 or 50 minutes into silence all of a sudden like a, right. a bonus song would show up right like tools undertow had it where it's like the 69th track and every track leading to it after the initial 12 or whatever it was was like Dude, three some seconds of those were something. so cool on cd because I, I, I don't remember exactly what album it was but there was one album that you had to go to the last track and then rewind it and the the next song like the hidden song was actually in like the negative space of the last song so you couldn't get there by just letting it play through you'd actually have to like yeah. I don't even know why people did that, but it was so cool. It was like finding the hidden level in like you know Mario. It was like finding like a warp tunnel. Right. So here's my question. Okay, I know for a fact that you can do this. You can put a hidden track into a record, and you you look at the record, you can't tell. So my question is, if it wasn't the first track, would I ever have found it? I mean, I guess if you're DJ and you're going in there, you can you know it might by mistake come across it. But I'm just like, how long has that gone on? So like that's like straight out of 1984 where it's got the pages between the pages and you like undo it and you're like oh there's another book in here. It's like I'm they can't be the only one. And 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 you would you know unless if you show it to somebody directly depending on what it is they might not ever believe you like oh check this out did you know that Chicago has you know this <laughs> track in the in the third song on side B like it's like you know you would you it would just the needle would just go you could go forever and then the thing is too is that i i was so naive when i was young i thought when you like discovered something that's like really like significant and profound with media that that's just like oh you discovered it you get credit and then that's and then it's like the thing explodes because i saw what happened with our dark side of the moon the wizard of oz because that on point that it's like no one can really deny that whatever the case like there's something to this and so i thought that it just worked that way like you discover it and then this is what follows. And then I came to find out, even with the internet age, where you you can be, you know, shouting it from rooftops as loud as you can for years. It doesn't necessitate that people are even going to realize because it takes the time and attention to actually sit down and watch the thing, you know, and to like actually consider what you know. You have to see something. Can in you sum that thing. up in a 10 second TikTok dance, please? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, yeah, that's that's a, that's the a thing, you know, and I think that attention spans maybe in the 70s when that came out, not just attention, but people's lives and people's time and like the way that you treat we, media was treated. You know, what's cool about that <clears throat> is that you'd have to run the experiment, which is almost like it's got a ritual aspect to it. And so, um, you know, uh, I have like friends like Bill who's kind of a purist with this in a sense, maybe that's not the word, but he feels that, you know, that people should run the experiment themselves to get the full 
experience. Like if you put it together for them and all they have to do is push a button, you know, that's a different, that's a different kind of thing. But I feel like even just, I'm, it's worth doing it for me just for the convenience of my own. Like I can pause the thing. Like if you're, if you have to align it yourself and like start the album at a certain on, you know, whatever it happens to be third row or whatever, it's like, you know, this happened to me once in junior high when I was showing somebody dark side of the moon, the wizard of Oz at like a, at like a house party thing. And I had it all set up and all these people were watching it. I was like, I was all stoked. I was like, wow, they're, they're paying attention. They're watching it. And then some guy walks in and he goes, Oh, this looks interesting. And he like bumps, the uh, the shelf and it like had the cd player and it just went skip skip and they were like oh no and i was like that's it and i was like do you want to start over the beginning we're already 20 minutes in or whatever and i was like yeah i don't even and at that time now i could i could i could fix it because i know enough of the points where the things occur where i could (laughs) like cheat and skip ahead you know but at the time i didn't know that and i was just like i guess that's it and so you know it's like that kind of thing but yeah do you do you find it easier to do with older movies uh versus newer movies or is is there no real like it just works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't exactly yeah no it's the way the way it is i mean there's there's some like like um if you play beatles revolver uh with 1918 uh bluebird it's a silent film like that's incredible there's some silent film ones you know and a lot of these it's like I had I had a certain like feeling about the musician or whatever, and I might not like the music in most cases or in some cases, you know, but like I end up appreciating things that I otherwise wouldn't, you know, like because I'm relating to it in a different context. So like if I play Lady Gaga's The Fame Monster with Metropolis and start it where the pyramid at the beginning turns black, like like that I love that. Like, but I wouldn't necessarily like listen to lady gaga just because you know what i mean like but in this context it has a whole different feel and there's something about that with film and music you know where it's like you'll relate to the music through a different (laughs) lens like i wouldn't listen to imagine dragons but i'll tell you what imagine dragons uh they have an album that goes with cloud atlas cloud atlas that's just phenomenal and like i mean and you're and not only will i listen to imagine dragons i'll loop the album and listen to it again you know what i mean but like (laughs) and enjoy it you know but like i'm not putting on imagine dragons while i'm like cleaning my house or whatever you know i could see that i would almost think of uh maybe some juxtaposition of putting like rafi's banana phone on with like cannibal holocaust or something where now all of a sudden you've you've got a new appreciation for one or the other yeah exactly is there so i mean uh, i don't think that you might have an answer but i'm just curious is there either a movie or album that is just unsinkable that where it's just like this is just absolute uh you know garbage or you know i mean i can't even think of what like veggie tales but i assume that maybe even veggie tales you've synced up at some point there's the, the well if you take into account all the years that i've been doing this there's more movies that I've tried that didn't deliver magic and mm-hmm. nobody's ever going to know that I put together unless I tell them, you know what I mean? Cause it's like, I have no reason to share that. So it's like, there's so many attempts at this and though that has um, become further in between. Cause usually if I bother to do it, there's enough to it that I'll at least enjoy it. Even if it's not profound, you know what I mean? But like, yeah, I mean, I, there's like an old film called the egg and I used to, tr- I really felt like should sync with Adam Hart mother. Now I know that Adam Hart mother syncs with summer of 42, like nobody's business. If you start the album on the 42nd second of the film, like 
like that's 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 crazy and it works so well but like i tried to play that with the egg and i over and i was like it feels like it should it should work but it doesn't there's a lot of those that i feel like it should work but it doesn't you know like i wanted bjork's vesper team to work with um was that french phil amelie you know like mm. it just feels like it should but i never got the magic so i gave up eventually <laughs> <laughs> so i, I want to ask uh, a couple more sort of um your opinions on like esoteric and occult topics but before mm. then i want to see if you'll do some pcp with me but <laughs> this is it actually it stands for uh i, I got to remember the parent the paranormal conspiracy probe so nice. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw you like a handful of questions, and I want to get your rating on one to ten for how plausible you think this is. So, uh, just okay. like just instant reaction. Don't even think about it. And if, do if I, you're do you want on me the to say like five, one through ten in terms of how much I think that it's a okay, okay, it's a legit thing. Yeah. So if it, if you say one, then it's like okay, BS, psyop. Don't bother me with that. If it's ten, okay. you're like you're okay. all in. All right. So was 9/11 an inside job? Uh, absolutely. Uh, though, 10, though that, uh, it's, it's 10, but the thing is, is that I would say that when you say inside job, any, any of these questions you're going to ask me, I can tell you right now, I'm not going to just be able to leave it at a number. So like, because it requires qualification. So I would, I would, I would argue, um, that in my estimation, not like I know, but in my estimation, I would argue that nine 11 was an inside job that involved rogue facets of the, obviously the United States. Uh, Saudi Arabia and Israel, and so like I've, I, I'm not saying that the governments work together per se, but that there was rogue facets of intelligence agencies within those governments that colluded to uh, to do what they did on 9/11. And and to clarify for listeners, those uh, rogue factions you just mentioned are also the sponsors of today's episode. So thank you, Saudi Arabia, <laughs> Israel, uh, Halliburton. Uh, and actually, I, I, I this is the fourth, the fourth I think episode now, and I always forget to lead with the most important question of all. David, are you a cop? Because if you're a cop, you have to tell me. Like we're, I, that's we, actually a myth. I don't have to tell you. So you are a cop? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, this was a quick one. Uh, thank you guys for tuning up. <laughs> uh, so, so we're we're gonna keep going. The one to ten is Bigfoot real. Dude, I, uh, 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 five, uh, I, I actually, I framed a picture of Bigfoot today. I framed a painting of Bigfoot on velvet today. That's yeah, probably worth so, a few thousand dollars. So it's beautiful painting, but yeah, so, Lauren Coleman, uh, he's the world's expert in Bigfoot. I think he's written more books on Bigfoot than anybody who's alive today. He actually named me synchro mystic of the year in 2017. He's a friend. He's awesome. He's a friend of mine. Oh, so you've got some Bigfoot credentials. In a, in a way, I mean, we in, got, I live in I live in Santa Cruz, and Santa Cruz Mountains has their their Bigfoot museum, and Lauren Coleman has has been there. He's you know some. So so let me ask you: like, since you said five, did you used mm -hmm. to be closer to ten and weaned no. yourself to five, or did you start at one and and grew into a five, or you've just I I, I started I started at non applicable, and I probably like at some point went five and then stayed there, you know. Could, but, could you ever see yourself yeah. getting to six or is it just like five because you, sure. want, you wanted to believe? Sure. I could see, I could see myself getting to six. Yeah. So how, I could so, see myself <laughs> getting to four and zero too. I don't know. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what's your gut uh, opinion on why nobody has found just the conclusive proof of Bigfoot? Do you just 
Do you go well, to like he's a really good hider? If you want to know, it's because yeah. it, it it actually ties to a larger issue of coexisting hominoids, and so humanoids or whatever. You know, like that. There's that that the idea that evolution wasn't this kind of linear movement of this to that. That there's actually coexisting lines of evolution that kind of like synchronize like they correlate and so like the idea that there could be beings on this planet who are human-like uh but you know like elongated skulls or whatever maybe they wear headdresses to hide it maybe there's some of the richest people on the planet but they pay to not be included in the forbes list and stuff like that like i'm totally open to that so like bigfoot it's like oh could be another line of of some kind of you know human uh expression that's not actually yeah, you human can semantic you know? into it too okay so uh, if yeah. bigfoot's five tell me about reptilians one to ten uh shifting uh, uh, reptilians uh, okay well you know okay so so david ike uh <laughs> you know his first i think we've discussed this before maybe on sync tank but david ike's first i think couple books i think he had two i'm not sure it may have just been one but they're really his first books are really hard to find and I don't even know where they're listed necessarily. And like, if you go to look at what are David Icke's books? Well, David Icke's first books were like Lucis Trust books. Like they were, he was way into Lucis Trust. And uh, one of my extrapolations with him is that in all likelihood, he's come across at least translations of uh, esoteric text that was quite old, maybe 12th century or anywhere between 12th and 2nd century. And, uh, you know, the way that, uh, like, for example, the Kleepot are treated is often like, or not often, but in certain cases is communicated in a very reptilian way. Like, you know, you have uh, Nechash, the, the serpent in the garden is obviously a reptile and there's, this, and it was a serpent with feet, right? And so there's this kind of like communication around what the reptilian in us is like, like there's this idea that like, if, like if we came from the dinosaurs, right? Like the dinosaurs were here on the planet and then they died off and then now we're here. So like when people say like dinosaurs ruled the world and then you're like humans ruled the world, is it possible like evolutionarily that some aspect of what those reptiles were is still in us? And so when people talk about like the reptilian brain as like the medial brain, then like when, where we go with fight or flight and why it is the way it is, like I've had experiences where I've seen things like that I'm sure I'm not alone with, uh, uh, you know, so DMT does that where you'll like, I've, I've literally seen like reptile scales appear actually on Jack Nicholson. I was watching the shine. Maybe I shouldn't share this, but whatever. It's free country, whatever. We're out in you, Jack Years Nicholson. Okay. Yourself. Yeah. yeah. Years ago, I, uh, I was watching the shining while smoking DMT. And, uh, there came a point where, you know, when they're, they're in the bathroom with, uh, he's with, uh, was a Grady and you know, and it's, it was like going back and forth and Grady was just stable. Like he looked like Crowley and then it would like cut to Nicholson. And I, you know, I took a big rip of DMT and my room kind of telescoped out and like, I could see the TV off in the distance and I'm looking at like Jack Nicholson's face. Like he kept on having these like bulges come out of it, like these bubbles. Like he just looked like he was, you know, kind of squirming around and it was really twisted. And then like, the, and then it would cut back to Grady and Grady was just immediately like, this is why hallucinations with DMT aren't the same as like you know, other psychedelics. Like it's its own thing, right? Like, I don't know how to explain this, but like Grady was just stable and then it cuts back to Jack and he's continuing on with his like weird thing. And then there came a point where it's just like these scales just like emerged on his face that were like rainbow, 
like and they were like moving and it was just like he was a, he turned into a lizard and it looks so real and like i was just like it's like a very like visually convincing hallucination you know and what it felt like was that it was my my mind was trying to articulate something and i think what i was trying to articulate was like it's hard to explain but it was like there's like this idea that if the pressure is too great, like this is why fight or flight, like if you can't, you don't know how to reconcile something, there's a place that you can go that's kind of like, for all intents and purposes, like cold blooded. So it's like, it, it looked as though it was like he couldn't reconcile this thing. So he just settled into this other thing. And I felt like it was like lower on the evolutionary scale of, of expression. So it was like, instead of elevating to the next phase of evolution it's settled into the previous and so i treat that it's like you know like you know jim morrison he had that you know the the don's highway thing where it's like he sees the dead indians on the road when he's a kid with his family in the car i only know, know that from the wayne's world movie by the way oh I, really <laughs> yeah okay. but I, I know what you're talking about well this is crazy like i'm a huge doors fan right like i share a birthday with jim morrison i've always i've been a huge doors fan since i you know since i was young and uh, <clears throat> my favorite Doors album is actually uh, Postmortem. So the, you have An American Prayer was released after his death. It was still my favorite because it's his poetry that he recorded, mostly his poetry that he recorded on um, his last birthday before he died. And there's a thing in the song progression where you have this story that he shares about when he's on the road in a desert at dawn this is the equivalent of nietzsche's story about his neighbor killing the lamb by the way in the lightning storm it's the, i'm pretty sure that's where he has his own version of it like it's what inspired him so it doesn't matter if it's true or not it's just because it, it's used to illustrate this larger point so he sees these dead indians on the road like they had either hit another car or he didn't know what happened and the souls of the ghosts of one or two of those dead Indians leapt into his soul and has been there ever since. And that's the meaning of his hitchhiker thing. So when he's talking about the hitchhiker stood by the side of the road with his thumb out, he's saying like his body is being used by a hitchhiker who is this, you know, and so it's this idea. But it, but that album actually goes directly from that to Blood in the Streets. So blood in the streets in the town of New Haven, blood stains the roofs in the palm trees of Venice, you know, blood is the rose of mysterious union, et cetera. It's this idea that when you, when you build on top of something that happened, that whatever was previous is still embedded or integrated somehow into the thing that is that, you know, that built on top of it. So it's like, it's just like Poltergeist or The Shining where they're like, you know, in The Shining, they're like, you know, we had to, this was the, an ancient Indian burial ground and we had to fend off several Indian attacks while building it. And then it's like, that's now imbuing the space, right? Is the spirits of what, what, of what happened there. It's like the idea of a haunting, right? So Poltergeist is the same thing. You moved the headstones, but you didn't move the bodies, didn't you? You know, it's like, that's us. Like that's America. Like something happened here and we're trying to continue to go about our business. Like that's just, you know, and that's the nature of repression sublimation. You repress something and then it sublimates into an, another area. It doesn't always have to be a matter of like, oh, it's gone into a more respectable place. It's just, it's got to go somewhere. You can't, you try and push it down and it'll find some other corner to work back through into the thing. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, the, so I'm an engineer by nature. So if I have to boil that down to a number, I'm going to put you at about a 7.8 for reptilians based on your explanation that you'd have to expand the definition of reptilian to yeah. some kind of uh, life form that pre-existed us, but we have now sort of 
built on top of right it's it's a more of a matter of like for all intents and purposes 10 but if you're not saying for all intents and purposes and you're just leaving it that with no qualification then i can't even answer it at all okay this is this is fine dude <laughs> i like i like picking these apart sure uh one to ten lee javi oswald shot jfk with the <laughs> with the shot um uh that's i can't just give you a number for that one again i'm you gotta sorry give me a number you gotta give me a number okay well the thing is is that lee harvey oswald very well may have been one of the eight shooters so like you know from what i understand you know shots were fired simultaneously they fucked up they didn't hit him they went to shoot again they fucked up again and then he was hit by a guy in a sewer drain 15 feet away and you can you know there's a pruder film is faced the other way you know, you can see the angle came from below. That's what it looks like to me, at least. I mean, I, I've watched it enough. If you look at the film itself, you see the shot, and then you look at the autopsy photos, they don't match. That's not what happened to his face. Like, so what happened, you know? So if that was that, even like, the same person after they yeah, landed the plane. So I had to, like, I, it, it, took, it took me twice as long as it would take, you know, just the average viewer to watch... Um, was it JFK to 9-11, everything is a rich man's trick? Because I had to keep pausing it and looking shit up to see if thing if this guy just about, I don't know if you know that, um, that conspiracy video, but I watched it years ago. And at the time I had to like check all the, like so many of those things, especially that particular section where he's talking about the multiple shooters. And I can't, I, I'm unable to debunk it. And so like, I'm not going to stand by it and be like, this is what it is, absolutely. But it's the thing that's made the most sense to me. And so, although it may appear outlandish to some, I think the official narrative is more outlandish. So, did Lee Harvey Oswald shoot JFK? He may have been one of those shooters. He may not. He may have just been a complete patsy. I don't really. I don't really know. Um, the longer time goes on, and the more that I look into the JFK assassination in particular, there's this quote. I might butcher it. I think it's Peter Lavenda, but it's something mm. like, "Was the JFK assassination a particle or a wave?" And I really, I feel like that, that describes it so well because, man, it, it almost feels like it exists in this completely different reality. All the players involved, there's there's so much going on. It would take a lifetime to unpack it all. The guy that, uh, with the eye, the weird drawn-on eyebrows that was directly involved, who also run the Civil Air Patrol that Lee Harvey Oswald joined when he was, like, a youth and... Uh, that, that George de Morinchil knew right. Jackie when she was just a kid, and and he also welcomed yeah. Lee Harvey to Dallas because, and then he worked in Haiti, and then yeah, right, and Thornley <laughs> too, and his testimony regarding um, what was it, uh, Discordianism. So Lee Harvey Oswald was connected with the founder of Discordianism. I've never heard that before. Yeah, so uh, uh, I interviewed this guy, um, Adam Go Rightly, I believe is his name. Uh, I think he lives in Yosemite. That guy's written books on Thornley. I think more than one. And uh, yeah, Lee Harvey Oswald's close friend. I yeah, I recommend the books uh, of Go Rightly, and I recommend Sinister Forces by Peter Lavinda. As far as all that stuff goes, those are very insightful books, and they seem to be very empirical, as far as I can tell. I, I, I yeah, it's hard to argue with a lot of that stuff. Well, let's let's keep this rolling because I I got yeah. so many more for oh, you, man. Oh, cool, cool. I love it. Yeah. Do we have a time limit? Are we talking for two hours? Uh, what are we doing? No, no. So I usually run these about ninety minutes max. Oh, so okay, okay. I'm keeping pretty tight. Okay. Uh, are ghosts 
real. And I already know you're going to have like a whole thing to explain before we get to the numbers. So, so you can, you can quantify it however you need to. Uh, 10. 10. Uh, Ghosts are absolutely real. Right. Although when, you know, this, <laughs> here comes <laughs> like all these things. So like, you know, when, you, when, when, um, it's like ghosts and aliens. It's like I was saying, like alien and poltergeist, like as far as I'm concerned, they're the same movie. So like, you know, when you're, when you're talking about like influences on, on consciousness, you know, like not, nothing is, is like, if you, if you refer to the clip boat as like the outside ones, it can be a little misleading because, you know, everything is of Ainsof. So like, I'm just speaking Kabbalistically. So like, if you, if you, if when you say ghosts, like a dead person that now is wandering around in purgatory or whatever, that's another, that's another matter. Like, I don't, I'm not going to take a position there. Um, I've always really liked, um, uh, I believe it was Blavatsky. I, I think I heard it from her one time where she was basically relating to this idea that like, suppose you're in a, in a, in a house and you were saying that the house was haunted, you know, like this is a haunted house. Well, suppose somebody lived in that house for most of their lives or something for years and years, and they had routines and they walked up and down the stairs and they went and they, they did the same pattern over and over and over again. And just because we are energy, we're electromagnetic energy field. Like we walk around, we repeat, it's like that it, it's not out of the question that that could infuse into the space, so to speak, so that this is still playing out and we're and we're composed of elements and we're not ultimately separate from our environment and so like when we, if you if you're speaking to like you know that when we die is that like is that it you know as for well maybe in terms of if you're if you're, if you're speaking like the atman or whatever it's like maybe you know or maybe there's spirit goes somewhere or whatever but well like what's all enshrouding that and around that that makes us up like our actual organism like i i not only do I not rule it out, like I think it's all it, it almost seems like to me it feels absolute that it's like something continues when somebody dies, you know, like there's something that, that continues. Whether or not that's your soul is another question. But like we're composed of matter, and that matter is not entirely like physical in the dense physical sense. Like I believe in the principle of emanations. So it's like when things come into form they they go from etheric to growth to gross right so it's like you become more dense you know like physical objects are just one side of the spectrum of emanation and so you know i acknowledge that there's an etheric aspect to what we are and if you want to call that ghosts then that's that's cool <laughs> and, and it sounds too like you were describing a little bit of what i guess i would call psychometry where i guess your energy sort of leaves an imprint in matter that can be detected um much right. later on that I, I understand that yeah that, or that I there's like grooves that. that get set up so it's like you know if you had a stream and it's running along and then you have like parts of the stream that are like it gets world it whirls up it gets caught up there's like these kind of like nooks and crannies that kind of you know, keep things going and, you know, like, and that's happening while the stream is going. So like we're continuing, but then we have these kind of knots or something, you know, that aren't quite reconciled. 
And so like, I also have this idea that I know I'm not alone with, like people come out of people come out of people. So like we're a living fractal, right? We're not a regular fractal, like a computer fractal, because if you go into any part of that and you find the whole like Mandelbrot set or whatever, we're more like it's alive. So if it's, if the thing is actually, you know, like the, the idea of ancestral uh, karma or ancestry, like what your, like what your ancestors experienced, that you're still continuing on that same trajectory. Yeah, or like or L- Lamarckian kind of genetic memory or something. Yeah, like Khodorovsky talks a lot about that kind of stuff, and I really resonate with it. So I don't, you know, I, I that that's one of those things. Like what I was saying, like it's like I don't know how that couldn't be true. Like that just seems so obvious, you know. Well, if if we talk about a subset of ghosts, you mentioned the movie Poltergeist. Do you believe yeah. in? Uh, I don't want to just I don't want to just say the word poltergeist because it means something very specific. Sound, or sound spirit is literally what it means. So so I want to understand, do you believe in like good and bad, Matt, like angels and demons or like could you inherently walk into a place that has bad energy and that rubs off on you and now you've got bad luck or. Yeah, you know, I don't believe in bad energy. I believe that energy is energy. And then what surrounds that energy, like, like the way, like where I was speaking of like ebb and flow of like the mm-hmm. stream, it's like, there's like Kabbalistically, there's the Shefa, which is the life of the thing, the essential aspect of the thing that is like, I amness, And then like everything else is another matter. So it's like if you're if like they say with the Kabbalistic tree that there's two orders to the Sephirot. There's like the a- actual organism order that we see in trees and lightning and everywhere, and then in everything organic. And then there's what we would call this translate as the sustaining order of the empire. And that's a cultural thing. That's a social thing. That's like and it goes that goes really deep, but it doesn't it's not profound like the shefa is but it it organizes itself to kind of mimic the same expression that we see in nature so like you know uh there's this idea like if you're talking about crowley like the saudi star issue i was just talking about this last night with bill it's like my housemate it's like and my co-host it's like there's this there i don't know if you're familiar with crowley's saudi I'm, star I'm not, issue. yeah so can you explain it he's he did it, <laughs> Uh, it's, it's I, five I words to, or less. I have to do it. Like if we have a, the time restraints, like for brevity, you're, you're actually best... going to have to do a TikTok dance for me to, to get this. <laughs> right, right, right. So base, basically he took the liberty to switch some arcana of the Trump cards in the tarot deck. So saying that the, because every, every card has its correspondence with a Hebrew letter. So he in the book of the law had this down download. You know, it didn't come from him. It came from Iowas. But anyway, it gets this download that says it's, that Saudi is not the star. All the letters in the book are right, but Saudi is not the star. So he's relating that that book is the book of Thoth. So and what and what is that? But for him to communicate is the tarot. And so you know that all all of those arcana relate to the Kabbalistic tree in very specific ways. As far as Crowley, Eliphas, Levi, and European occultist Golden Dawn, you know Israel Gardi, all those people—they're working with the same symbol set, right? And so he switched these cards, arguing that there that there was basically a defect. But I don't believe that that was actually like any kind. Like he did probably did some weird what you could call black magic or whatever, for lack of a better word. But what I actually take the Saudi Star issue to be is is basically like brutal fucking honesty because it's what we're dealing with in the relative world like it's not ultimately like the the name like if you're treating it at the arcana or like a name of 22 because this is the original conception of like the alphabet as like as far as origins go from the phoenician and chaldean 
like pictographic roots or whatever, if you have this kind of like burst of expression that happened with language, and then you look at like over time, the way that things shifted. And when I say over time, I mean, like, even at the beginning, like the fall starts right away, so to speak, you know, so it's like, um, he's, he basically, he, he's, as far as I can tell, he's acknowledging a defect that exists in society that's kind of like subliminal or subconscious, but we're related and it has to do with our ideas around what constitutes strength. It's, it's this, this relates to the arcana of strength, which in for Europe, Europeans and beyond that, it would be the pathway of Tet, uh, Chesed and Gavora on the Kabbalistic tree. And so like this basically is like, it's, you know, Philippe, Philippe Petit, the guy who put the wire between the two towers and walked across it in the seventies, you know, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt did a, a film about called the walk about that guy like that act of him doing that like kabbalistically like that is like like that is the equivalent of of pulling the golden bow like by him doing that he's based it's basically a, a statement of like that this this is going to collapse like in the same way in the golden bow where the outsider pulls the limb off the tree which is symbolic of the king's phallus and daughter at the same time he's challenging the king and the king is as good as dead when he pulls the branch and so i see this man from france coming to america walking back and forth between this this you know this position because if you're relating to those towers like those are the um yakin and boaz uh as it relates to the seven lower sephirot then he's literally walking the pathway of strength and so like it's it's oz so the the hebrew word oz is what the wizard of oz is named after right so like, you know, there's, there's Oz, which is, you know, which relates to the Shefa, it relates to the, the emanated flow that extends as a lightning flash through the material world, right? Through, through, through organic expressions. And so then you have a kind of a substitute and that's where we get the symbolism of like Samael and Lilith, which for Christians would be the archetypes of like the Scarlet Woman and the Beast of the apocalypse so it's like there the idea is is that th there's this there's the ultimate reality of what the thing the thing in itself is as kant would say and then there's what we're projecting and what we're relating to which we can manipulate and so like to try and speak to your question i guess what was your question one more time i'm such a <laughs> our, I'm such well, a we, we started on our ghost reel and then it was like is there good or bad magic slash right good and bad magic and this is a great example of that because i would be like is it is it bad magic is it black magic to address what it is that we're dealing with in you know like it's no krishnamurti it's no measure of good health to be um you know, well adapted to a profoundly sick society. So if he's acknowledging what the dynamics are of that, it has built in all the assumptions that we hold together collectively around what constitutes strength, then, you know, one could call that black magic, but at the same time, it's like, well, then we're all doing that. So what are you going to do about that? Well, let, let's say you know? in uh, so somewhere between a, like a philosophical, um, like interpretation of black magic. And then there's like the 13 year old that bought their first book on Wiccan, you know, pagan rituals. And they're listening to like whatever nine inch nails I'm dating myself, but somewhere between those two extremes, there's someone that's legitimately like trying to summon Bilal. They're trying to summon, you know, some, right. some de demonic entity to help them in their lives. I'm just curious in your perspective, 
is that person just doing like a really fancy self-help ritual with extra steps are they tapping into a real energy that some people consider demonic but it's not really demonic or like are they just larping really hard like right it calls in a bigger question of what are demons because we're we we have to like king james is largely responsible for this kind of like shared view of what a demon is because he wrote the book on demonology i think before they arranged the well, canon. he believed in werewolves he believed in like all kinds all of, of shit yeah. but the thing is, is <laughs> yeah. this is the thing is that with a lot of this stuff it like doesn't even matter in certain cases like what's ultimately true if people believe it and what kind of influence those people have. So if people are in positions of power and they believe some outlandish shit, it almost doesn't even matter if it's real or not because <laughs> the fact that these people believe it and they're influencing our lives in various ways, then it's like, that's what we're dealing with. You know what I'm saying? So Too like, sure. yeah, so I don't know. It's like, as far as far as like demonology goes, like the Klepo in, you know, that's the idea is, is that in the, in the world that is to come, they're transformed. So that's alchemy. So in other words, the way you could put that is just, I'm sorry, this is kind of crystal hippie, but it's the same way that Eckhart Tolle talks about the pain body, that the pain body is itself presence. We're just relating to it wrongly. You know, we react to it when it arises in the wrong way. Like we, it's actually like, it's life energy, but we restrict it. So it's the same, the, the simpler way to put this would be like, you know, when you're laughing, you're, you're like releasing energy, right? Like you're just letting go. And you actually don't think when you laugh generally, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, there's like a moment of just like la that laughter is a state, right? Well, when you cry, you're also having a, a, an energetic release, but when you cry, you're allowing the release, but you're resisting it at the same time. So it's like with the laughter, it's just full release. You, there's no resistance, you know, for the most part. And then with, with crying, there's more of a contracting uh expression that goes along with the thing and you're like but the, but like i was saying before like you were asking about bad energy good energy i'm like energy is just energy as far as i'm concerned but then the way you respond to that energy determines what that energy looks like because it's not really that energy that's changing it's just everything that surrounds it and so that's the issue you know what i'm saying the, these are some good uh i wasn't expecting any of these answers so i'm actually <laughs> glad we're going that i've only got a, a few others so okay. let, me, let me cherry pick some interesting ones i guess uh does the government control the weather and i guess that's already like a yes obviously but do they control the weather through like harp or other um I, you know, I think these taboo that, technologies that the government and who knows in, influence the weather to some degree and to what degree they actually influence it in any particular, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not privy to that. Um, but uh, weather modification, sure, yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a ten on that. Uh, but I wouldn't say control. And the same for the same reason that when it comes to like conspiracy shit in general, I don't care for the word control because I think it's kind of like arrogant. Like I think that there's like the the Illuminati whoever they are, I'm sure they'd love everybody to think that they're in control, not just influencing us, you know? Yeah. yeah. Will you, <laughs> will you control the workers in Metropolis? And she's like, yeah, I got it taken <laughs> care of. Don't worry. And you, you sort of touched on this one and I, I might know your answer, but dinosaurs, one being fake psyop 10 being, yeah, they definitely existed exactly as we see it in the museum of natural history. 10 but not as we see it in the museum of natural history because a lot of those fuckers probably had feathers that were really you know elaborate and you know whatever i don't think that the, that jurassic park is showing us what dinosaurs look like 
but we're inferring that from what evidence we have. I do believe the dinosaur bones are real. Apparently the brontosaurus wasn't real, but it was just like a modification of another dinosaur that was really similar, but that guy wanted credit, you know, that happens yeah, so, a lot with, with archeology span too. Not just, you know, like that, that happens all over the place. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't Satan just burying things to make us question our creator. That's as the, like, like, the ultimate think, prank. Yeah. <laughs> I think, it seems so plausible to, to test my patience. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, um, I, I can't even hope to get into uh, enough. I, I was joking about doing like a dummies guide to like uh, mm. Kabbalah, mm. Um, but I, I know it's something that you've been studying for a while. And I guess the the layman's bump, you know, the, the American bumpkin um, version of this is that my understanding is Kabbalah is kind of like the oldest version of like you were saying tarot and and the original so like Phoenician mm. and uh, Chaldean alphabet, but that this might be like the origin of all esoteric knowledge just repurposed throughout history. Right. Is like, is there something older than the tarot that, that you think like that came from or like where, like chicken or egg, like where, right. Like, so what, what breed and, of chicken and, was it? It's like, if you like, suppose you're talking about geometry, like you wouldn't say that any particular culture owns geometry, even if they like came up with it because it's a discovery. So like, I, be I believe I said, I, I've been saying that more lately. I didn't used to say I believe so much, but it's fun. And, you know, I read a lot of Robert Anton Wilson. He's from Santa Cruz. And I don't know, he's really influential to me in my 20s, you know, but he's like, you don't have to have beliefs, you know, you know, but, uh, you know, uh, I believe that we discovered uh, math and that we didn't invent it. I believe that we invented the, the, the symbols to communicate it, but mathematics itself is a living thing. So like, and then when we replicate that in our minds and try to understand it, that's another matter. That's like Yakin and Boaz. You have, you know, the, the right is one thing. The left is replicating the pattern, you know, and the replication is a copy of a copy. A co the right is even a copy ultimately. So it's like if a copy of a copy, it's not going to be the thing in itself. Um, but yeah, so, hmm. Yeah, like Sephiroth means numeration, you know, like that's that's literally what the word means. So it's like things that stand out in space. Like if something doesn't stand out in space, we can't say that it exists because the word exists literally means to stand out in space. So if we're talking about something that's on the etheric side, like, you know, in the spectrum of existence, like you don't really have a language for that uh, in English, at least. Um, like if you look at a lot of there's Sanskrit terms and there's Hebrew terms that really don't have a definition in English. Like you can't really define them. And in certain cases, the best you can do is kind of point at what they are by saying what they're not. So like you kind of like come to an affirmation through a negation. Like that happens sometimes, you know, in mystery schools. And so well, that's almost yeah. the hermetic principle itself is that if you don't understand something in a certain context, you explain it in another one and you're like, it's like that. You know what I mean? That's right, right, as right. above, so yeah. below. Exactly. And that's funny because we say as above, so below. And apparently the Emerald Tablet has had some... Uh, it's been scrutinized and people saying that it doesn't date as far back as people thought. I know that the Zohar is at least as old as the 12th century. It may as may be as old as the second, but we know it's at least as old as the 12th, but that seems hardly the point. A good rabbi will tell you it likely came from Egypt. And so it, that, that's the thing. So like, well, that, that's some, a, that's an awesome point. I was actually, I, I wanted to get into and I, because there's almost this, 
concept that the most ancient equals the most right. So if I can show you a holy book or an old book that's 10,000 years older than yours, to some people that means that that one's more accurate because the ancients had a closer connection to God or, you know, to like the original <laughs> consciousness or whatever. But if if we're never actually inventing math, we're just constantly rediscovering it and finding it in right. new ways. Is like what what do you think of you know the ancients are more right than modern times because we've got plastic and TikTok? Well, when you say the ancients, like that's the thing, is that like that's I was trying to say that earlier, that even if you talk like the fall is right away. So it's like if you're saying like the original conception is one thing, and you're like, what did the ancient people say? Well, you find some ancient text and they have their opinion or whatever that they're communicating. It's like that's not the same as like the original conception, the revelation. You know, it's like it's like tool in what was it 10,000 days when he's like having this acid trip. He's like, but I forgot my pen. You know what I mean? It's like somebody didn't forget their pen at some point. You know what I mean? Like they got the <laughs> download. They're like, Oh, I got this. And like, you know what I mean? But it's like, it's, there's strange things. Like you'll find like that, that like with the pyramids, for example, the way that the pyramids were constructed, they had like a couple tries that were like failed. And then all of a sudden they like achieved the fucking the thing, you know? And it's like, and then there's this long degradation from whatever that, revelation was and insight works like that even in your own life you'll notice it like you'll have a you'll have a profound insight and then you start building ideas around it and you can almost like if you have an experience you can kind of like imbue the experience after the fact and lose touch with whatever it was that in that moment you actually saw because you're representing it you're giving it representation and the truth doesn't need representation it is its own thing you know you can't actually encapsulate it. And it's like, that compartmentalization gets in the way. And that's what we see with organized religion, you know, like religion is one thing in essence. And then there's what, what there's that old story about the devil walking down the road with a guy and, and you know, he, uh, the devil goes and he picks something up off the ground and he smiles and he puts it in his pocket. And the guy walking with him goes, what was that that you just picked up? And the devil goes, oh, it's truth. And he goes, oh, it must be a very bad business for you then. And the devil goes, not at all. I'm going to help man organize it. You know, it's like, it's what, it's not, the, it's, it's not about that. It's about what is built up around that. And then that's what becomes the problem. You know what I'm saying? That reminds me, I've heard this explained in a way, but that if you try to think of one of your oldest memories, like, uh, you know, if you're three or four, some people claim they can remember, you know, baby memories, but at a yeah. certain point, you start remembering the memory of it. Like I'm remembering right. the last time I remembered it. And there's a certain threshold when you're no longer connected to the original event, you're just playing it back over into a certain, like, you know, 20, 30 years in the future. Totally. It has no real bearing on what actually happened back then, but right. it, it doesn't make it any less real because it's been inside your head for so long. Right. And a the point is there is that the memory isn't the thing. And so you're dealing with a representation. And that's one of the big problems with people is we do that. We take a representation as though it were the thing in itself. And then we fight over the representation as though it were that thing. And because you could, because in a lot of cases, you just can't fight over the thing in itself because it wouldn't make any sense. You know, it's like people rioting over the death of Martin Luther King, who probably didn't like him while he was around, but they're going to riot on his behalf once he's gone. You know what I mean? It's like, that's obviously not about thing in itself that's about whatever you 
decide that that means in the moment you know what i mean my my favorite is sports too sports is a great example where people yeah. will get into fights or they'll like become you know brothers with like some guy that they don't know at the at the bar next to him just because of how things yeah. are playing out on the screen of people that they don't know first oh totally yeah i, I love it though. i love yeah. that dynamic man dude i was i was i was in this place in the himalayas it's a village around a lake and i was like sleeping in this room and all of a sudden it was just like there was this fucking loud explosion and the room lit up and i was like i thought it was bombs like it was so loud and i like i got all freaked out and like i went and i went to look out the window and i see the first thing i see is some guy like hit a pole with his car and I'm just like, uh, and people are running around screaming. And I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? And then I realized, I'm like, those are fireworks. There's fireworks going on. These aren't bombs. And I see everyone's screaming and running around speaking in Hindi. And I, I get dressed and I go downstairs. And I, and I go to this guy at the desk of this uh, motel I was staying at. And I'm like, and, he, and he's just freaking out. And he's got a television. And I'm like, what's going on? And he, go, he turns at me and he goes, India just beat Pakistan and cricket. <laughs> and like that's what was happening and like i mean i'm just like really that's you know that level like this isn't this is in the middle of nowhere and they're connected to this like you know and that's that's tribalism you know like uh, uh i'm not even necessarily saying there's anything wrong with tribalism per se all on its own you know or our nationalism it's what we put on top of it it's like you know um one definition of zen is life with nothing added that's actually what a um, a monk told me at, at an abbey in in uh, Shasta. Sounds like a, so, like a Klaus Schwab uh, <laughs> sales pitch at this point, <laughs> right? Well, it's what it's the point is is it's what we put on top of it, and there's you know it's it's that you can have an experience, and that's one thing. It's like my my mom's advice when I when she found out I was doing psychedelics. You know, at a certain point, she said. Cause my mom grew up in San Francisco in the sixties, you know, uh, it's a big part of her childhood. And, you know, and, and she said, you can trip, but don't trip on your trips. You know what I mean? Like, don't, don't trip out on the trip. Just have the trip. Like you don't have to like, you know, put all this weight on it. And I think that that's that gen people just have this tendency to do that. Like they'll have an experience and then they'll want to make it into something beyond well, i mean especially you know. if you don't have a parent that's like you know i would call that supportive but if yeah. if you've got if you live in um a, a sort of environment where it's taboo it's the devil it's evil you're immediately going to go to jail for the rest of your life you might as well be a murderer so when right. people go into it with that mentality i think that when they have this huge revelation it's it's a huge impact and they do trip on the trip because right. now it feels like this coveted knowledge that no one was, you know, they weren't allowed to get a, a hold of this. Mm -hmm. And actually, yeah. I, I kind of like that aspect of the psychedelic experience because it's almost like the ancient mystery schools where you might end up dead if you told someone, you know, about what that experience might have been like to the point where maybe it got lost over time. I don't know. That's my, that's right. my personal theory is that the whole like lost name of God might be some kind of representation of you know the stone ape theory just like the the eucharist might have originally mm. been a little mushroom cap and then over time mm. they hit it so well that they forgot about it and then it goes in this big cycle i don't know <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah totally yeah I, I hear that i mean that's the thing it's like even if you look at like the in numbers um where there's the uh where it describes the temple incense and you're looking at the you're ingredients. The so, numbers right now. Yeah, and so like in the uh, there's um, or 
is it kings is it first kings maybe i don't know what the hell i'm talking about i'm sorry like i i studied torah and the tonic and the zohar for over 10 years with a rabbi i was raised studying the bible but i don't always retain everything so excuse me if i get some some things wrong well, especially but, numbers yeah. where it's just like begat 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 i think begat. i'm just realizing <laughs> i'm talking about first kings as i've said numbers but anyway no where it describes the temple incense and if you look at a lot of those ingredients we don't know what they were like we don't we just don't know because there's like you know it's describing it but some of them we do know and of those ingredients included in those is acacia which even like the Ark of the Covenant itself or like the, and the tabernacle was said to be built of acacia and, you know, Eastern acacia, like you can derive diamethyltryptamine from it's in the incense. And this isn't just like, Oh, they lit a stick of incense. This is like, they're hot boxing a yeah. large space and they're describing how they're experiencing prophecy from this, you know, as that is part of this ritual. And so it's like, okay, so it really does look like these people that they're describing, you know, even, even if you were to argue that this is just mythology, they're describing substances that exist, that did exist as well. Like, there's no question, like, whatever the case, people, you know, so like people talking about the burning bush, was that salvia? Like, I don't even, I don't need to go there. But uh, that would be so is, cool if it was actually Salvi. I don't, I don't think the the, the region matches <laughs> up, but I wanna, I wanna know that now. Yeah, I know, right? But uh, yeah, and the the Salvia told him, tell tell them I am that I am and sent you. Right. You know, M uh, Moses of Hawaka. <laughs> right. So like, you know, that's like I also I also see like when I when I read the Torah, especially there's like it seems I I see humor that's like next level humor. That's like, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey humor, like, and Eyes Wide Shut. Like, those movies, as far as I'm concerned, are hysterical. Like, they're, they're deadly serious and, and hysterically funny at the same time. I suggest you sit down calmly, take a stress pill, and think things over. Like, that's fucking, like, the, 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 you know, the computer afraid of dying. Like, that's a hysterical idea, but it's also like, is that what it is? Like what the hell like because it's something we've manufactured and so like my i'm just going to continue to talk about some issues i see with humanity at large i i really strongly feel that the conflation of technology with biology is one of our biggest downfalls and i think if you look at like the covid hysteria and all that stuff it feels like you got a lot of like not just technocrats but people who respect technocrats taking like they're all ones and zeros so they're just like they're they treat things that are true for technology as though this applied directly to our physical selves like they do that without skipping a beat like there's just no problem with that and i see that as extremely problematic so like i always am really like like really keen on uh qualifying distinctions when we're discussing technology and then translating it to our physical bodies and environments you know what i mean you would find that problematic user 19785 <laughs> <laughs> well you know i pissed some people off recently talking about ai on twitter and like because i i and I've, we've discussed this before but like i can't help it it's just like the time that i spent looking at the original not just the screenplay proposals for ai but kubrick's own handwriting reacting to different things that were presented in those proposals one of those things is he didn't want a fucking family film he was making a horror sci-fi movie that was the conception and the whole end of that movie the way that they have it where it's like this fairy tale thing yes he's taking from pinocchio no doubt like that was in it to begin with but 
in the original conception, that was meant as a punishment to the mother for abandoning the child. You know, it's not the same story. Like the flesh fair, like, I'm sorry, but like, and I know I never met fucking Kubrick, whatever, but I have a feeling that he wouldn't be down with the way that they did the flesh fair, where it was like in hook with Rufio or something. It was just like, what are you <laughs> doing to this? Like, there's so much potential squandered. And it well, just feels like he's just pissing all over Kubrick's grave because he's just like, I can do what I want because Kubrick was not a Hollywood director. And I think that Spielberg, from what I've gathered from interviews and from everything he's had to say about Kubrick, that he didn't, he didn't like when he treats it, like Kubrick talking about sending him the fucking fax machine and he had it hooked up for like less than a week before unhooking it because it was bothering him and all of that. Like he wanted to talk to him on the private line and he's laughing it off. It's like he's, it's talking about paranoid American. Like he, he laughed at that, at that as just paranoia. And you know, that Vanity Fair article where, Kubrick's uh, where um, Michael Herr speaks to uh, that quote from Burroughs of a paranoid schizophrenic is somebody who's begun to realize what's going on. And like in, in Michael Herr argues that when Kubrick saw that, like he's, he shared, he relays a story that he shared that Kubrick shared that with everybody. Cause he was like, Oh, what, what is it? One of those things that you can't find the words for. And then somebody says it for you and you're like, Oh yeah, that's it. You know, it's like, Spielberg didn't take that seriously. Like he didn't have any, um, you know, uh, he didn't resonate with that, with, with Kubrick's ideas in those ways, conspiratorial ideas. He saw him as paranoid, you know? And so, well, and he well, referred also, to, you know, uh, didn't he used to listen to like air traffic controllers and be like, Oh, there was a close one, you know, <laughs> like that's <laughs> he's doing his free time on the clock. Yeah. I mean, what's crazy about Kubrick is that it's just like, how did this guy have that much time? Like w with a life, like being a family man. And then apparently he had the time to like, if you watch Kubrick, Kubrick's boxes from John Ronson or Ron Johnson, John Ronson. Yeah. And, uh, and you're just like, how many scripts did this guy write that never, that never went anywhere. And then also just people sharing scripts, passing them around. He's adding to it. Like, I think there's some real strong cases for Kubrick. Uh, contributing to movies that we wouldn't necessarily assume. Like, I think that that's true for Waterloo with Hal Craig. Like, if you look at Hal Craig's obituary, it says that he wrote Barry Lyndon and then he wrote Waterloo, like, it, which started production like three months after Kubrick didn't do his Napoleon film, which he was supposedly turned down from MGM, which I've never found any real evidence of that he was turned down, especially considering that he gave a, uh, you know, he did the math of what the film would cost him. And it would cost less than what Waterloo costs, which is a Dino De Laurentiis movie. It's just like, and he's, but once again, just like with AI, he stressed that he didn't want a war epic. Now I'm really interested to know what Spielberg is going to do now with a seven part series of Kubrick's Napoleon when original, the original conception was Napoleon and Josephine, and it was meant to be more of a romance than it was a war epic. And so like, that's, Kubrick's own explanation of what it was that he was working on. So I'm guessing we're probably going to see a war epic, just like he stressed that he didn't want a family film. And then we ended up with a family film. It's just like, what the hell? I'm, I'm glad we came around to, to Kubrick, uh, as we're, we're wrapping this up because we're coming on 90 minutes here and man, I, I want to actually get you back on and just talk about Kubrick soon. I think sure, his birthday's yeah, coming yeah, up in, in like a week or something, but I'm curious, do you think based on uh, Spielberg just absolutely destroying AI and almost, you know, flippantly, 
do you think that Kubrick might be involved in some kind of like a king kill ritual where they're like publicly disgracing, shaming, doing the opposite of his wishes just to like absorb his power and redirect it in a way? Do you, do you believe in any of that? Uh, ten. Ten. Okay. And is this is this <laughs> just them trying to take the momentum of Kubrick? Like that's what a king kill ritual is: is you take the energy of some kind of yeah. a leader. And if yeah. you are the one that gets to decide when that gets extinguished, you actually get to like redirect it to the next generation. Yeah, I say this as somebody who, and it doesn't stop at Spielberg by any means, but I say this as somebody who really does love Spielberg's catalog of films. Like, and I think that they're great, but they're a completely different style of filmmaking than we see from Kubrick with the, with, you know, I mean, yes, he has his meta narratives for sure. And I do believe that a lot of, Spielberg films incorporate Kabbalistic stuff in, in not that dissimilar of a way as Kubrick did, but he's Sin City in Kubrick's own words. So like, he's like, why do you want to live in Sin City? So it's like, cause there's, there's Kubrick's own life. Like what, what, like what life, what the way he lived his life, like it's a different treatment and it comes across in his filmmaking. Like it's just, it's a completely different thing. And so it's, it's almost like, kind of like a vampirism you know it's like kate winslet towards leonardo dicaprio and titanic you know it's like she wants something that he has but she but not maybe just she but like there's this thing that exists where people want something that somebody else has but she there's no shortcut to it <laughs> she wants you know that I mean? peasant dick is what she wanted <laughs> well well yeah i mean that was that's a it's a trope where somebody slums it it's like saturday night fever or something you know and i'm not saying that that spielberg's slumming it necessarily but there's a depth that Kubrick had that he can't necessarily like get at. And so he wants to like take it there. Okay. My, one of my absolute favorite things that, uh, uh, Freud ever said, people talk shit about Freud. I can go off to, he's got his issues and especially a lot of his tangents, you know, I'm just like roll my eyes at it, but there's certain I love things my that mom. he said. Er, I love Freud. <laughs> right. So there's certain things that he said that, are meaningful that are very meaningful and should be considered and one of those things uh that are foundational to even his own arguments like i was talking before about repression sublimation that's a freudian idea that you'll find in the zohar as well so whatever maybe he he was in vienna and he didn't want to have people having that association or whatever but i don't know but anyway he said to the desire to have something or someone or whatever is is uh ultimately a desire to want to become that so it's like, you know, it, you want to integrate the thing that you, th that you want to have, like not only like to have it is one level of it to become it is another. So I, I, I think that what we're seeing in the world right now, like in the culture war shit, like a lot of that is like symptomatic of that phenomenon or that neuroses that, you know, the, the people have this tendency and, uh, and you see a lot of different expressions of it. So speaking to what you were, what you, you were postulating as a possibility, as far as like, we're talking about Spielberg, but just like people mm -hmm. wanting to take that, they literally want to become the thing. And you, you can't stick feathers up your ass and call yourself a chicken. I mean, you can, but it doesn't make you a chicken. You know what I mean? Like it's just a featherless white bed, I think. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I don't know if that answered that completely, but well, David, this has been freaking awesome. Uh I can't wait for our regular sync tank to start back up. I think next week, next Tuesday. We usually do that on Tuesdays. Mm -hmm. Um 
But uh, I, I definitely want to maybe just have you come on again in the near future and just talk about Kubrick nonstop for a little while because I that's I, it. Re, it requires its own episode, in my opinion. Totally, I'm, I'm, I'm down. Yeah, and I like talking about Kubrick because you actually, it seems like you, you've done enough uh, research beyond just having watched the movies that you, you know some backstory, and so it's nice talking to you because it's like, dude, I have. People were mad about what I was saying about Spielberg. I was like, dude, I didn't even say the Crispin Glover thing. Like, you know, like that he's like a child molester or whatever. I'm like, it's possible. Uh, but, Crispin uh, Glover, yeah. also one of the sponsors of this episode. Thank you. <laughs> wow, cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I I would like to do more. I, I realized it about halfway through the show, even before I even started talking about Kubrick, because I was like, oh, we should talk about Kubrick. You're the guy to talk about Kubrick with. But uh, yeah, I, I no, we will. I'm, I'm I'm specifically waiting until like uh, you know, I, I got to build like like a tantric release. I have to build up all of this this Kubrick energy, and then we'll just all release it together on like a live stream or something. I, I put your Moloch uh, sticker on my uh, in my dining room on the wall, and I, uh, I appreciate. I got, your, got, got your books there the inflatable moloch sticker yeah we, we actually yeah. needed to produce the inflatable moloch so totally. one day mm-hmm. so uh so david again this is uh you make videos on the sync book give yourself another shout out and where people can find you please. Uh, oh yeah so uh the syncbook.com uh you can see that there's like uh can we go there you don't yeah you have this, uh, so, yeah, yeah. yeah i've actually i've got it pulled up right now oh cool here we go Nice. So if you click on sync flicks there with Dorothy with the single beam going through her head. And then uh, so this one I just I just put up. This is E.T. and Poltergeist together with 50-50 transparency um, uh, starting at the same time. And so, uh, yeah, so this is, you know, the syncbook.com uh, slash uh, sync media research. And uh, yeah, I have over like 200 films here for streaming and download uh it works differently for some people's um you know if you if you have a strong internet or whatever it shouldn't be a problem but if it is if something looks interestingly interesting enough to you i recommend downloading it um yeah yeah you can see my mine is definitely lagging right now (laughs) okay yeah 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 that that's a thing and i think with iphones for some reason with a certain like Andreas figured it out. He figured out what the issue was. There's some, I think they're trying to like phase out like uh, streaming that's not like the sanctioned streaming, like mm-hmm. Netflix and YouTube and whatever. So if you have like a different streaming service, a lot of these things are trying to get rid of that. It's, it looks like something. Maybe, maybe I'm it's just conspiracy net neutrality, minded, man. That's the net neutrality. Yeah, right there. something's right. going on. I don't know. Have you seen the, this one, the untethering, right there with um. Uh, Saul Williams and uh, this is one of my favorite just because um, I'm a huge Saul Williams fan even even the movie that gets a little bit of panda views I absolutely I can't remember the name of it it's called like slam Slam. oh Oh, my god oh yeah I love that movie so much I I absolutely love it yeah there's slam and there's his recent uh, musical that he did uh, which is phenomenal and so yeah no this is this is us and the shining shinings mirrored against itself um with uh Saul Williams Amethyst Rockstar. So there's almost this is almost exactly 20 years in between each one of those components. 
So it's like 20 years between The Shining and the Saul Williams album from, I think, 2000, 2001. And then, another, and then Us came out in 2019. So there's, yeah, this is like a continuum. It's, it's yeah. You know, there's, I, I, this is a whole other rabbit hole to go into. But, you know, like with Us, you have uh, Jack Nicholson's grandson appearing in the credits as Danny slash Tony. And, uh, you know, if you, if you watch us and you know, notice like when, when the way that the woman speaks where she's like, we're Americans, that's Tony. Okay. Make no mistake about it. Us is like, is like, uh, I wouldn't call it a sequel, but it's, it's a continuation of the same, uh, kind of philosophical conundrums, uh, presented in the shining. So they're, they're, they're absolutely connected. Only one person dies in the shining other than Jack. The shining is a very, is a very, uh, uh racial related film. So some people seem to miss that component there, you know? Um, do you see Dr. Sleep as a worthy sequel, the, the, the movie to the it's shining just, or it's so painful. It's so painful for, to like, to just like, you know, you're into the like, uh, deep fake type stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh my God, like, I don't know, maybe it was a legal issue or whatever, but I'm like, what a missed opportunity. Cause like to be to, like Scatman Crothers, like, uh, you know, and Danny, Danny was older. Like, did Danny turn it down? Did they ask Danny Lloyd if he would play <laughs> Danny Torrance? Like, cause he's only done one movie. Would he do a second if it was a sequel? If that was actually Danny Lloyd in that movie, it would probably be one of my favorites but it's not maybe the acting chops weren't there though maybe i don't know what what happened there i've only done one movie you know and it's not like child acting translates directly into adult acting no but even if it was bad i don't care (laughs) like i would rather have a bad acting danny lloyd than ewan mcgregor and i like ewan mcgregor i got no problems with ewan mcgregor necessarily (laughs) you know but like you know what I'm saying, I hope, you know, it's just like it's just it's a it's a it's a bummer, you know. And it's also Spiel it's also, excuse me, that was like a Floydian slip. No, it's also Stephen King, who for some reason, you know, it's the only movie that was made out of his books that he puts down. He doesn't put down Langoliers. He's not gonna put down Maximum Overdrive with the all ACDC soundtrack Emilio Estevez movie. He doesn't put down like there's so many movies that were made of his stuff and he only has the shining to insult which is like the best one you know yeah, I, guess I agree with you than... i don't even know how controversial this is but i think the stand sucked even the remake <laughs> of the <Stand> sucked. <laughs> well it's like the, it's look, the epitome yeah. of uh like never go full r word like right <laughs> that's, one, that's one of the things stand. i love about twitter is that you can really see like people who you might revere like you put on a pedestal and then you just see, oh, that's how they are. It's oh, like yeah, the, the Hellboy yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, no. And and Stephen King is one of those. You know, we are just like, really now? Wow. I mean, I, I know. I guess he's Stephen old. King I don't know. Just, I shouldn't. I shouldn't just. You he's know, just he's, always clapping back from like a baseball stadium. I am. <laughs> right. 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 So, all right, man. Well, uh, thank you again for your time. We're gonna. We have so many more conversations coming up here and elsewhere so i'll see you with those ones mm-hmm. i'm always looking forward to it and uh thanks again man and to all of the uh the viewers out there i just want to remind you guys that total paranoia is total consciousness i think that was <laughs> jesus i think that was jesus <laughs>